Every four years in this country, we go through a, a very brief period of great heightened emotion over what is going on in our country around us. It is not anything new. Proverbs 29 and verse 2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. This has always been the case. It's a very emotional time, uh, regardless of what, uh, what you believe and what you think, every four years in this country. I've been thinking about that in combination with what we've been looking at in the book of Daniel, and I thought it might be a timely a reminder for us at this time to uh, look at some reminders that we see in the Bible concerning the institution of government, that is, God's institution of government. I think it's timely, I think it's important, especially during this time right now, to remind ourselves of these things. If we turn to Bibles, Ezekiel chapter 22, Ezekiel chapter 22, the first reminder I want to give from Scripture is that corrupt members of government does not mean the institution of government is corrupt. Having corrupt members in a government does not mean the government as an institution uh, is corrupt. We're going to see several examples that I want to look at this evening to prove this. Ezekiel 22 begins with me in verse 23. Ezekiel 22 beginning in verse 23. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the, the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things, but have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbath, and I am profaned among them. Among them is among the priests. I was thinking of this as an example. Because there were in these days corrupt priests among the priesthood did not mean that God instituted, the God-instituted priesthood was in fact corrupt. It was not God's priesthood that was corrupt. It was the priests within the priesthood at this moment in time that were corrupt. And there's a difference between that. You don't throw out the priesthood just because you have corrupt priests amidst the priesthood. Ezekiel 22. Look at a, a New Testament example. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Corrupt priests among God's priesthood did not mean that God's priesthood was faulty. There was nothing faulty about God's priesthood just because there were corrupt priests at the time of Ezekiel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, go with me to verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. In the context that you is the Christians or the church that is at Corinth. Paul identifies that there are contentions within the church at Corinth. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And go with me to verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, the church, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye, the church, are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. There was fornication among this church, and not only fornication, but so much pride that they did not deal correctly with the fornication that was among them within this church. Look in chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Go with me to verse 6. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 6. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Among this church you had church members who were suing one another, taking one another to law among this church. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
And go with me to verse 22. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 22. What, have ye not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. In this feast wherein they were supposed to be considering the church and waiting for those who did not have anything, those in need, they were instead taking of their own meal before the others got there and despising the church. The church is not a building, the church is the people. They were despising the church because they were not providing for those who were in need. That was happening at this church. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 21. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 21. The eye, which is a member of the body, cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. In this context, we find out there were members among this church who were saying to other members, we don't need you. I'm greater than you. You have no function. We don't actually need you as a part of the body. That was going on in the church. And so the question I would ask is, when I read all the problems that the church at Corinth had among them, does the fact that the church at Corinth had problems and had things they were doing wrong, does that mean that the church that God established is faulty? Does it mean we need to throw out the church because there are members within the church who are in sin? Do we blame the church for that, the institution of the church? The answer to that is no. We don't blame God's priesthood for that. We don't blame God's church for that. Because there are members that are at fault does not mean you blame the body for it. The church is established exactly the way it's supposed to be. I look at one more example, Matthew 24. Matthew 24. <coughs> Matthew 24, and go down with me to verse 11, the context, the destruction of Jerusalem, and those signs that would come before that. In Matthew 24 and verse 11, Jesus notes that many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. The word many is used twice there. There's going to be many false prophets and many who are deceived. Is the fact that there exist many false prophets in their time and many who are deceived by them mean we throw out the doctrine. Is it the doctrine's fault? Because many people are teaching falsely and being deceived. The answer is no. And so the first thing I want to establish is, just because there is an error that is going on within members of a God-instituted thing does not mean you throw out the God institution. So just because there are members among a, a government who are corrupt and evil and wicked and sinful does not mean you throw out government. Government is not at fault there. God's institution of government is not at fault to reach the conclusion that, you know what? I'd rather there be no government. You wouldn't rather there be no government. God instituted government for a reason. There is a function for it, and we'll get to that a little bit later. This is the same logic, or I should say lack of logic, that would bring someone to say, I don't go to church because there are hypocrites there. Among the church there are hypocrites, therefore I don't go to church. You're blaming the wrong thing. Just because there may be one or two hypocrites, and you, by the way, might be that hypocrite yourself, if that's the way you feel about it, but just because there are hypocrites among a body does not mean the body is to be blamed. There are going to be members among them that are in error, and you do not throw out the entire thing. That's not the right process. Go back with me to Proverbs chapter 28. And so I want to note when it comes to government, there, of course, are very corrupt members of government. They're all around us. We see and hear about them every single day. That does not mean God made a mistake by instituting government. God did not make an a mistake when he instituted government just because people are corrupt among them. Look in Proverbs chapter 28. The next thing I want to remind us of is we cannot allow the fact that there are corrupt members in the government to actually uh, to put out our lights. And Proverbs 28 and verse 12 is very interesting. 
a proverb here in Proverbs 28 and verse 12. When righteous men do rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise or rise up or wickedness rises up, a man is hidden. Or in other words, men sometimes hide. Sometimes men's response to an increase or a rise in wickedness is to hide. To, to hide away from it. And I want to remind us of this this evening. That is not the proper response when wickedness rises. When wickedness rises, it is not a time for us to hide. It's not a time for us to not speak out. It's not a time for us to, to stop saying things that ought to be said or preaching things that ought to be preached. It is not the time to actually hide our lights. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5, a section that we're all familiar with. Matthew chapter 5, and go with me to verse 14. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. If you put it in the right place, you cannot hide that light. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. Or they shouldn't. There's no purpose in lighting a candle and then just covering it up. There's no purpose in that. When you light a candle, the purpose of that candle is not to be hidden. It says, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And then he goes into the commandment. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That is an easy, very, a very easy commandment when people appreciate light. But when it comes to a point when people don't like light anymore and they only want darkness, that's where it becomes hard. And when it becomes the, the, the case where everyone around you appreciates darkness more, it is not the time to hide your light. It is, in fact, the opposite. It is a time that you have to make your light shine even brighter. And in fact, if you go back to verse 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. That's the very context that Jesus is saying this in. Just because it gets difficult and times get hard and people want darkness more does not mean you hide your light. It is not the time for a Christian to hide. When darkness is all is surrounding us. I want you to go with me to um, Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. So the same thing, second thing I want to remind us of is we cannot allow the corrupt members of government around us to put out our lights, the Christian light. That is not the proper response to that. What I do want to note though is God designed government with purpose. And I want to note some purposes for which God designed government. And again, God's design government is the thing that we do not throw out just because there are corrupt members amongst it. The first thing I want to note is that government was not designed by God to be the standard for morality. Government is not the institution designed by God to be the standard for morality. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15 says the church of the living God is the pillar and the ground of the truth. It does not say government is the pillar and the ground of the truth. The, the, the role of the government is not to establish morality. I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 14 and verse 3. Matthew 14 and verse 3. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's. For John said unto him, John the Baptist said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have her. Now, if Herod were in a position, a governmental position, wherein he has all authority to set morality, he can say, of course it's lawful for me. I'm the standard of morality. But in the case that John identifies here is, look, it doesn't matter what role you play within the government. You do not get to decide morality. You are breaking God's higher law of morality in Matthew 14. 
It is not your right. It is not your job. It is not the job of a government to actually dictate or decide on morality. Now, what that does not mean, and what I'm not saying is, we should not, that does not mean that we shouldn't want our government to promote morality. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's not their role. God did not institute government to, in fact, uh, settle or found morality. That's not the government's position. But I want you to go with me to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. That does not mean that we shouldn't want the government to uphold morality. We should absolutely want our government to uphold morality. In Proverbs chapter 14, look with me in verse 34. Proverbs 14 and verse 34. This was actually mentioned in a prayer this morning. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Which one should we want? Should we want a nation of sin or a nation of righteousness? We as Christians should want a nation of righteousness. That's what we should want. And so I'm not saying that we, that we should encourage sin, and I'm not saying that the government should not be involved in righteousness. We should want our government to uphold righteousness. Absolutely the case. Look for me in Acts chapter 26, another example of this. Acts chapter 26. Acts 26, and go with me to verse 24. Acts 26, beginning verse 24. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. Here you have a government official speaking to Paul. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, nor this thing was done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. We'll get back to this principle in a moment. That is exactly what Paul is doing. Paul is trying to influence a government official into morality. There is nothing wrong with that. That's what we should want. We should want moral government leaders. I'm not saying that we shouldn't want it. I'm just saying that government does not have the right to decide it. That's not what God instituted to decide morality. I was thinking of in John chapter, eight, uh, John chapter 18 and verse 38. In John 18 and verse 38, when Jesus is before a government official, Pontius Pilate, he says, what is truth? Now, Jesus could respond with, well, you tell me. You're the government official. That's not how Jesus responded, because it is not the government's role to decide morality. He was that, that government official was standing in front of the truth. It was he who decided morality. Christ, God decides morality, and we should want our government to also uphold that saying. Go with me to Romans chapter 13. So it is not designed, in fact... As the standard for morality. Government has not been designed by God. God has designed morality. It's just the government is not God's institution to declare it or in fact to, to be the standard for it. We should want them to uphold it, but they are not the standard for it. There's an outside standard from the government that in fact decides truth. In Romans chapter 13, I do want you to note that God did design government to punish wickedness. Romans 13, beginning in verse 1. God designed government to punish wickedness. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to do good works, but to 
evil. That is, they should be a terror to do good e to evil works. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power, that governmental power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he, that is the government, is the minister of God, because God instituted it, to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, the government is, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. This is God through the Holy Spirit's design for the government. One of those designs is for the punishing of evildoers. You need to only ask your question, what does he mean? He, he, bears the, he does not bear the sword in vain. What's the sword for? Is the sword for cutting grass? What's the sword possibly for in this context? It's for the ministering of punishment, even to the point of death. When I was in high school, the most debated topic, I, mean, I remember in my high school classes, the, the most debated topic was capital punishment. And I remember we would have to take one side or take the other side. I don't think that happens in school anymore, but it did back in my day, and we'd have to take one side or the other of it. And that was one of the most heated discussions that you would have in school in those days. I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 25, and if you have not ever considered this before, it is absolutely within the government's authority to punish an evildoer with death absolutely in the government's authority it it's not open for debate god has settled it through his word in acts chapter 25 go with me to verse 9 acts 25 i like to use these verses acts 25 beginning verse 9 but festus willing to do the jews a pleasure answered paul and said wilt thou go up to jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me then said paul i stand at caesar's judgment seat where i ought to be judged to the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be offender, or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof they accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them, I appeal unto Caesar. There's several things I want to note from verse 11. There is implication here. By him saying, if I've committed anything worthy of death, one of the implications of that is there are things you can do under that law that were worthy of death. That's one, of the, that's one of the implications of that verse. And not only that, Paul will go on and say, not only is that the case, but if I'm guilty of breaking one of those, Paul says, I need to die. I, I don't refuse to die because that is the punishment for it in this land. And they are completely authorized to do that. That is God instituted the punishment. It is not open for debate. God has allowed that authority within the government to punish evildoers. That is, that is identified there. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And go with me to verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 13. Peter says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake means because the Lord is the one who instituted the governments wherein these are the very ordinances that you're submitting to. Whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Notice there the, 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 the uh, very similar description of what the government's function is for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do well. Look at verse 15. For so is the will of God. That is God's will. That's not open for debate. God has placed that authority within government. And it is God's will that that be the case. If you are someone who is against and trying to remove law enforcement, you are someone who is against God's system. 
God instituted the law, the government, for the enforcement of punishing evildoers. If you are in the, the job, or if you're going around trying to remove that authority, you're removing something that God put there. Not man put there, God put that there. And if you're going around trying to remove law enforcement, you are going against God's system. That is a failure to understand the authority that God has given government. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. The government is designed to punish wicked. The government is also designed to promote peace. The government is designed by God to promote peace. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, go with me to verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, all within our prayers, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. What should our prayers be for our government? Our prayers for our government should be that our government makes it so that we can have peace and we can live a quiet life and live a godly life and live an honest life. That is the design of government. Is that always happening? No. In fact, it rarely happens sometimes. But that's God's design for government. And just because people get that wrong, you don't throw out God's instituted government because he made it in, a, a design, in design to actually uphold and promote peace. The people who would in fact teach and try to discourage a government from upholding peace, you are missing the design of God's government. God has put that there to uphold peace. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is one we don't like to hear, but God even authorized all of these things to be supported by our taxes. I'm not going to get too far into this, but the Bible supports this. I know we don't like it. We don't like to hear this. But the Bible has, has actually allowed and authorized taxes to be used for these things. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. We oftentimes speak of this in the context of, 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 of paying for and providing for preachers, which is in the context. But look at the examples he's used in verse 7. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? No one does. Well, who's going to pay for those, those people who decide to go to war for a country? The country does. That's God's authorized plan for it. Therefore, if the country in the collection of taxes uses that to uphold the safety and the punishment of wickedness, which is God's design, they are simply following God's design for government. I know we don't like to hear that, but that is exactly from Scripture. And that also is going back to the Old Testament. It's always been that way. God has actually said if you go to war, then the one who you're going to war for can actually provide, uh, can actually provide for you so that you're not going at your own expense. Therefore, taxes can be used for that. Look in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. This, of course, would be the greatest evidence that the government has authority for taxes because Jesus said it does. In Matthew chapter 22, and go with me to verse 17. Matthew 22 and verse 17. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful? To give tribute unto Caesar, Caesar being the government or not? That's their exact question. Is it lawful to demand tribute? Is it lawful to demand taxes of us by the government? That's literally their question. Has God authorized this? 
Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he said unto them, Whose is the image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the thing which are Caesar's. They, wasn't, they weren't expecting this answer. They're expecting Jesus to say, No, we don't have to pay the government. Absolutely not. We're under God's kingdom. That's not what Jesus says. If it belongs to the government, you pay it to the government. If it belongs to God... We are in his image. When he says, show me the image, we are in his image. Therefore, we belong to God. So we give ourselves unto God, but we can give taxes unto the government. That's their exact question, Matthew chapter 22. Regis told me a story that one of the evangelists there, they actually pooled their money and were able to get him a motorcycle for him to travel around and do evangelism on. And they were at the, uh, the, the dealership. And while at the dealership, the, the guy comes up, this, this dealer called, deal, the, the car dealer comes up and says, okay, I'll give it to you at this price, and what we'll do is we'll just cut the taxes. You won't have to pay the taxes on it, which I think he said was about $85. The preacher said, give me my money back, and they left. Why would a preacher of the gospel do that? Wouldn't he want to pay less money? Because a Christian doesn't try to circumvent paying taxes. God has authorized that. And if you don't want, you know, if you or try to circumvent that, if you say, no, yeah, 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 let's skip paying taxes. I'll just buy the vehicle. That's God's institution. And that's something that we have to pay very close attention to. Go me to Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. But I think the most important thing that we should remember during a time like this is that we as Christians should actively try to influence everyone for good not just the government but everyone for good we as christians need to be actively influencing other people to good and to righteousness this is not a time to hide it's a time to influence for good and acts chapter 24 go with me to verse 24 acts 24 and verse 24 after certain days when felix came with his wife drusilla which is a jewess he sent for paul and heard him concerning the faith in christ he asked to hear about the faith in christ I bet Paul was just tripping over himself to do that one. Oh, yes, I would love to tell you about the faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, judgment to come, can you imagine? Paul has the opportunity to influence this government official. And he does not, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't get scared, he doesn't hide, he doesn't back down. He says, let me tell you about some important things for you, ruler. You need to know about temperance, that self-control. That is very important for you. You need to know that there is a judgment day coming. And if you act in a way that's ungodly, you will be judged. You will not get around this judgment just because you're a government official. You need to know about that. Felix, it says here in this verse, trembled and answered, Go thy way, for this time when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. And we'll find out in verse 26. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, bribed. That was never going to happen. Because Christians don't give bribes. They pay taxes, but they don't get, give bribes. And he says, okay, I'll hear you again. And he kept on hearing him and kept on hearing him, but he was expecting some kind of bribe to get out. That's not the Christian way. But what he describes here is, I'm going to take this, this opportunity to influence this government official. You also have in, in places like Colossians chapter 4, where Paul, while in prison, had the ability and the opportunity and actually followed through with the influencing of someone in Caesar's house. Can you imagine if he had hidden from that opportunity? We as Christians should not be hiding from opportunities to influence the world around us to do good. That may be even coming in contact with these people and talking to them. It means we have to talk to people who are voting and influence them towards righteousness 
and speak to them of you do not want to bring a government over you who is fine with murdering children. That's not okay. And we need to be influencing actively other people around us, not just each other. We all agree on it. We can, we can spend all our time just talking with each other. Yeah, I agree, I agree. But there are people out there who do not agree. We have to actively be influencing them in that direction. Influencing them towards righteousness. Look in the book of Esther, Esther chapter 4. And oftentimes when you go to the book of Esther, in chapter 4 in particular, we go to, to study in the context of what, what we would be studying of providence. In Esther chapter 4, go with me to verse 13. I want to point some things out about providence, God's providence. In Esther chapter 4, go with me to verse 13. Esther 4, beginning of verse 13. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. You'll recall here that the decree has been made to murder all the Jews. Esther is in a position to save her people. But all she has to do is come to the king to let him know about this. The problem with that is you cannot approach a king unless the king calls you at the penalty of death. And Mordecai says, don't think, don't think that you will escape. If you don't have, take this opportunity to influence the king, don't think you're so special among the Jews that you will also not suffer the same fate. In verse uh, 14, for if, that's wherein we would get providence because this is we don't know. And she didn't know. But it was worth her effort regardless. If thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arrive to the Jews from another place. In other words, Queen Esther, if you don't take this opportunity to save your people, God's going to use someone else, but you're going to get punished for missing the opportunity to influence this ruler in a positive, righteous way. Don't miss your opportunity. God can use someone else if he needs to. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. This was her answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, neither eat nor drink the days, night or day. He, she also says, I also and my maidens will fast likewise. So you see her where her mind is. Her mind is, I'm going to do this. I'm also going to appeal to God for protection. I'm going to appeal to God who has all power and authority. So they, they fasted. I'm sure they prayed for her. And it says, I will go in unto the king, which is not according to the law because he had not technically called her. If I perish, I perish. It was not a time to hide for her. It was a time for her to stand up. She had an opportunity to influence the government influence the ruler she didn't hide away she said if i die i die but i'm not going to let this opportunity pass me by and we as christians need to make sure during times like this and we know everyone's emotional everyone's emotional right now about it not everyone most people are emotional right now about it i tend to be less emotional than others about these things but most people are very emotional about these things and all i want to remind us of is Take the opportunities you have to influence the people around you for good. And not just the ones who are going to agree with you. Take the opportunities to talk with people about the gospel and about the Bible and about God's institution of government to those who disagree with you. This is our time to be able to influence the world for good. We do not want the world to be bad. We do not want our government to be wicked. We should not want that. 
So in addition to voting, obviously, we also need to take the opportunity to influence one another towards good in what we say and how we act and how we treat one another. I want to remind us this evening of these things about the government. I want you to, to bring our minds back to God's design for it, what God's design is not for it. It's not to, to be the foundation for truth. We want it to uphold morality, but morality comes from God. And if there's any point at which I have to set myself versus God or the government, I'm always going to side with God because God is the lawgiver for morality. I can try my hardest to influence the government that is around me that I am under for good as well. We as Christians may be reminded of this. And I think each one of us should make, go out, if we're not already doing this, go out from this place and influence the people around us for good. We want good. We want, we want righteous, a righteous nation. We want a righteous uh, government over us. But if that does not happen, the church is the righteous nation of God. And we can part, be part of that. Our scripture reading in Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. I like Matthew's account in Matthew 2 because it refers to Jesus as the governor. And in Matthew chapter 2, and verses 4 through 6, he's asking, where is Jesus supposed to be born? And he says, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem, according to Micah chapter 5, and verse 2. So that they will have a governor over his people. We have the greatest governor, the greatest ruler that any people could ever ask for or ever want. We have Jesus Christ, the greatest king of kings, over the kingdom that we are part of. And we can, as we talked about this morning, have great joy and rejoice over that fact. If you're here this evening and you're not a member of that kingdom, not a member of the church, you can be a part of the church this very evening. If you've heard the words of the gospel and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you're willing to change your mind about sin and that cause you to change your actions, change the way that you live, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, as we witnessed happen in Acts chapter 8, verses 36 and 37 this morning in our lesson, we can be baptized. We can baptize you this very afternoon. The Lord adding you to his church, adding to his kingdom, and then you have the greatest king that you could ever ask for. And then you can start with everyone else to influence the world around us for good. It's not a time to hide. And if you're here this evening and you are a Christian, it's not a time to hide. It's a time to promote good and righteousness, as it always is, but especially in these emotional times that people are in right now. If you need the prayers of the church to pray with you, pray for that time is now also as we stand as we sing.